Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Welcome to Independence Day. My name is Joe Armstrong. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. Tonight on Independence Day, Michael Hayes. Musician Michael Hayes has come a long way since his formative years amidst the humid pines of southern Mississippi. Just about the time when many of his classmates clung to their roots and started families, Hayes set out for Austin, Texas, the fertile musical mecca that doubles as the capital of the Lone Star State. He did what nearly all young guitar players do. He started bands and worked odd jobs to keep himself fed. But Hayes soon figured out that as cool and supportive as Austin was, he needed an even bigger pond to hold his aspirations, so he packed up his life and continued west to California. Los Angeles's complex and diverse music scene offered myriad opportunities, and Hayes availed himself of as many as he could find. He became a founding member of the venerable local band The Larks and taught guitar lessons and repaired accordions to pay the rent. One band led to another, and he wound up doing stints in the neighborhood Bullies and We Were Indians, as well as contributing to Richard Thompson's Sweet Warrior album. Recently, in the fall of 2014, Hayes released his first proper, eponymously titled, full-length solo album. The 12 tracks that make up the record showcase Hayes' considerable talents as both a guitarist and a writer of inventive Elliott Smith meets Wilco melancholy pop. Guitar tones veer from classic tube-amp grit to 12-string jangle and then off to atonal Robert Quine atmospherics. Tight and inventive Big Star-esque chord changes give way to familiar and comfortable grooves with just enough country-flavored pedal steel to ground the whole hot-wired experience. Also in 2014, Hayes relocated back to Austin, but his new music makes it obvious that he has deep and enduring musical roots in Southern California. Welcome to Independence Day, Michael Hayes. Good to see you. Thanks, Joe. How, good to see you. Thanks you? for having me. I'm really good, except for my allergies are yeah. throwing me for a loop. It's that time of year, man. Yeah. It's the, it's the gift that keeps on giving. I don't like it. And you are, uh, I was going to say, you're a an Austin-based artist, but you spent a lot of time as a Los Angeles-based artist, but you've kind of based on a lot of different places. You know, when I was reading your bio, thinking about what we were going to talk about here, kind of getting my act together for this kind of thing, I kind of got the impression that you're, you're a bit of a wanderer. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm a Southerner, I think. Because okay. I've spent 25 years in Mississippi, or the better part. I lived in Yosemite for a summer. Which part? Uh, I lived at, uh, like mostly up, I think it, it was near the lodge. No, it was the terrace. That's what it was called. The terrace up at the top. We had a really nice tent that had power. We had a little TV in it. And, yeah. What were you, you doing know, living in Yosemite? Bear country. This is something I didn't know about you. I wanted, uh, I was like 19 or 20 and I wanted to go to California. That was the first time I went to California. So uh, they were recruiting at the college, and I heard about it, and I uh, heard you could get you know a menial job or whatever. So I went, and uh, I had a job as a pot washer okay. for like two or three days. That was absolutely brutal. Right. And I quit that and sold my mountain bike and just lived. Okay. In a That's tent. Cool. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be too terribly interested in washing pots. I've washed pots before. It was hard, and I mean professionally. I mean not like as a career, yeah. but I've been paid to do that kind of stuff. It's not yeah. fun. This was like a cafeteria scale yeah. job. I was wearing a uh, thigh high rubber boots and a rubber apron. How many times a day did they beat you? It was. Uh, I felt like I'd been beaten. Yeah. 
anyway, in any case, all, all dishwashing aside, which is something that yeah. musicians can probably relate to, but that's just that's something I didn't know about you. What a cool experience. To, yeah. I mean, I love that place. I go every year. I mean, it's, it's just magical. I haven't been back, but man, yeah. it was beautiful. It's fantastic. But, uh, so, I mean, but this, this bigger idea of being a wanderer, like, uh, do you, do you think that's part of being a Southerner? Cause like a lot of the Southerners I know, like they barely leave their County. Most of the people I know from Mississippi, where I'm from, they, they're still there. Yeah. A lot of them came to Austin and, um, I didn't stop there. I wanted to keep going West and came out here and just recently went back at the behest of my wife yeah. kicking and screaming as it were because I love I love California Was it a job or what uh it was her job Okay well, at least that's a that's a legitimate enough reason it wasn't just a matter of like wanting more humidity It was a legitimate reason and but still I love it here I miss it yeah. hope I can come back Yeah well let's let's I'd love to kind of compare the two a little bit because I mean they're both areas you know Los Angeles and Austin areas that are very rich in music tradition Yes. Uh, a lot of creative people in both of those places. I mean, Austin is an extremely unique town. Mm-hmm. Um, but first, I want to play something. You've got a new record that just dropped in the fall, which isn't that terribly long ago, just a couple months back. Uh, it's near, it's eponymously titled, it's your name, Michael Hayes, and it's H-A-Y-S for those of you, who, those people who don't know you. Uh, and it's kind of uh, earthy pop, I think, you know, kind of maybe on the, maybe power pop-ish. You know, how else would you describe it, you think? That's, that's pretty good. You know, it's got a little, it's, it started off uh, as a, we were going to do an acoustic duo thing with just acoustic guitar and um, Wurlitzer with Kip Boardman. And okay, myself. and he's going to play with you today as well. Yes, and it wound up being a full-blown album, so it organically, you know, just um, warped into this thing that has like... Some Americana, some, you know, some f- folk type stuff and singer songwriter. There's like some 90s rock on there. Yeah. There's some psychedelic stuff. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's there's a lot of influence there and it's, it's uh, really obvious to me. Yeah. And I, people people that have listened to it have mentioned a few and they hit it on, yeah. the, on the nose. So Yeah, it's good stuff, man. I, I really like it. I mean, that's, that kind of stuff is in my wheelhouse. But even if it wasn't, it's good music. People should pick it up. And they can pick it up on your website, which is michaelhayesmusic.com. People can also drop by at Facebook page, facebook.com slash michaelhayesmusic, and you're on SoundCloud. Not tweeting, though. No Twitter. Uh, no Twitter yet. Maybe someday I'll feel like I need that, but I just... Someday uh, you'll get into I'm your 128 just, characters. Yeah. Um, In any case. All right, let's listen to this. This is from Michael Hayes. This is the track Evil After All from his eponymously titled debut album as a solo artist, even though he's got a lot of other music out there. You can pick up a lot of different bands, a lot of different stuff. We'll talk about all that stuff for the next 40 minutes or so. Michael Hayes on Independence Day.
reminded of my voice by the laughing of the moon. Stop and think about the good times for a minute. Day. My name is Joe Armstrong. My guest this week is Michael Hayes. He's a member of the band The Larks, which has been in and out of the spotlight here in Los Angeles for a very, very long time. A lot of really talented guys in that band. He spent a lot of time in Los Angeles, but now he's based in Austin, Texas, which there are, you know, if you're going to leave LA, there are worse places you could go, don't you think? Yes. Austin is a good, good place to be. And uh, I'm happy there. Just happier yeah. here. It's a nice town, though. But like I said, there are worse places you could go. It's not like they sent you to like Lincoln. Yeah, Nebraska I, I love Austin. Or, I love Austin. So tell me, you know, you've been in Austin now for how long? Have you left just in the uh, fall? Just or? last June, so okay. nine months. Okay, so coming up on a year, mm-hmm. uh, you've been back in Austin. And give me a rundown. I mean, there's so many of the people who listen to the show, they're based in Los Angeles, or even if they mm-hmm. aren't, they've, they've played in Los Angeles. They right. know what the deal is here. Yeah. You know, uh, it's a different situation. Like here, 
they don't mic your amps at shows unless you're playing at the House of Blues. You mm-hmm. show up, they mic the vocals, maybe the kick drum, right. any acoustic instruments, and off you can run. There's a million shows every night. Everybody's playing all the time. Right. Uh, and therefore, nobody gets paid. Mm-hmm. What's Austin like in comparison to that? It's really similar. Um, there's, there's more, um, you know, Austin is a lot smaller. There's like, what, 20 million people in Los Angeles County? In Austin, I think there's about 6.4 billion. At least it feels that way when I'm on the <laughs> yeah. freeway. Yeah, and anyway, so Austin is a lot smaller, but uh, for the size that it is, there's a really high concentration of musicians. So um, there is always music going on. They call themselves the live music. I say they. <laughs> we Austin. <laughs> Is known as the live music capital of the world. Well, I, I think that's a somewhat dubious distinction, but I think that that developed out of there being such a heavy concentration of musicians. There's there's a lot of music going on, and a lot yeah. of it's really great. But that said, as far as being a musician and playing gigs there, there's a lot of bars where you can play where it's a bar, you know, and they just happen to have music. So I've heard people who have lived in Austin a long time call it the background music capital of the world. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. So in many ways, it's very similar to Los Angeles if you're performing there, yeah. you know. So that's, uh, you know, my grain of salt. It's a little more centralized, though, at least, right? Because because it's a smaller town. I mean, I, the times that I've been mm-hmm. there, I mean, I remember busking on, uh, is it 6th? 6th Street, yeah. Like on, uh, do they close it down just on weekend nights? They they block it off, and it's really become more of like a Bourbon Street right. type Definitely. of thing. The music venues are no longer concentrated downtown. Okay. They've moved to the east side, a lot of them on East 6th and 7th and 11th, et cetera. The East Side's really happening now. You can okay. walk, you can do a, bar, a pub crawl, go see a lot of shows. And then there's shows, uh, there's some venues in the South and a few in the North. It's scattered, uh, but the, the heaviest concentration is probably the East Side and then the South. Um, but gone are the days when, you know, you could just park downtown and go see a bunch of shows. It's changed with with the influx of, of uh, lofts, of loft uh, spaces. Right. And money. Yeah, it's really residential down there. And as soon as they started putting up those lofts, the residents started complaining about the music. Gentrification is a bitch, ain't it? It is a uh, double-edged sword. Right. You know, the same thing happened in Chicago, you know, back yeah. when I was there. It was like the Wicker Park, Bucktown area was the cheap neighborhood. You yeah. know, we're talking 20 years ago. Right. And this is the same story that happens in every town. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's where all the artists lived. And because the artists lived there, because that's the only place they could afford to live yeah. uh, in a big city, you know, <coughs> there were coffee shops and music venues that popped up, like kind of impromptu things, art galleries, places where artists, you know, art galleries don't make a ton of money. So they're going to go in in somebody's back garage. Next thing you know, you put some nice paint up, people start showing up, then it's the wine and cheese crowd, and then next thing you know, that's where all the, the well-to-do young urban professionals want to live, so they buy places there, and then the sky, then they start tearing down that old stuff, the new stuff goes in. I mean, this is a textbook, I don't need to tell you what gentrification is all about, yeah. but it happens everywhere. You know, it happened in Austin, too. I mean, they shut me down. I was busking. I think I might have been busking for, might have got like four and a half songs in, and the cops shut me down. I think I made a 
buck 86 or something like that. <laughs> well, you know, it's a little dent. It's something. It was expensive. I like Austin, though. It's a nice town. Good food. It is. And since, you know, the the population is like doubled. I lived there 10 years ago and 20 years ago also. But 10 years ago, I had lived there for about six years. And uh, in the time that I lived in L.A., the past 10 years, the population has just about doubled. Wow. And in that time, like, things have changed a lot. Uh, you know, it's gotten more, a lot more expensive and congested, obviously. Yeah. But you say there's a lot of good places to eat. Well, with all that money has come a lot of great restaurants and the food truck scene has really exploded there. So that's a good thing about it. You know, yeah, was, like, that was going to be my next question was like, tell me, I mean, I feel like we're getting really down on Austin. Tell me yeah. there's got to be good stuff too. Well, that's, that's one good thing is that like, there's a lot of really great restaurants. There's always been good food there, but now there's some really great restaurants. I mean, they're everywhere. Like downtown, it's all about, you know, going out to eat. If you're going to sixth street, you know, you might as well be on bourbon street, but there's more to downtown than that. And, um, Let's see what else is good. There's the best things about Austin are the things that haven't changed. You know, there's yeah. still a lot of great swimming holes in the summertime. You know, you can go to Barton Springs or any number of lakes and rivers. Uh, they well, some of the lakes just about dried up, but um, there's lots and lots of uh, green belt. You know, lots right. of hiking trails and nature and. That element is still there, the parks and the nature and the swimming and the, the you know, the, the lifestyle that, that, that goes with that, which is a really healthy lifestyle. And, and um, th- that's still there, but the hippie vibe is, is gone and uh, mo- many people are lamenting that. Yeah, I imagine it's probably still there. It's just, uh, it's kind of a Disneyified version of that, maybe, because that seems to be what they're like. New York had that too. Like even the yeah. even the funkiness is kind of manufactured now, right? Yeah, you know? it's like maybe that's still like the whole keep Austin weird thing is now a bumper sticker. Yeah, and now it's like a like a, a thing of a thing of a thing. If that makes any sense. Yeah, you hardly even see that keep Austin weird thing anymore. But there definitely is a there's some weirdness going on for sure. But it's yeah. not as pervasive as it once was. I live there. In the uh, in the early '90s, the first time, and there was a really heavy uh, like punk rock vibe then, like with the Butthole Surfers and uh, Jesus Lizard. I think they're from Dallas, but anyway, you know Close they enough. played in Austin all the time, yeah. and like there was this thing going on there with that, and there's still some of that, you know, but. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't see as much of it, you know. It's more like Americana and Roots, which has always been there. Yeah. Now, you showed up, because you moved last June, you showed up after South by Southwest last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, this year's is happening essentially now, mm-hmm. pretty much. Yeah. Tell me, uh, you know, compare and count. You must have been through there for South by Southwest. I was since- there for South by Southwest last year, actually. Okay. So yeah. tell me how that has, I mean, I mean, everybody knows that that's just grown and changed. It's and, huge. And, and, and become this huge, giant thing. So tell me about the old days and tell me, again, tell me what it's like now. Well, back in the early 90s, it was there, they champion local artists more. And now it's this huge corporate machine and like supposedly Kanye's going to be a keynote speaker this year. So I mean that about sums it up. 
Did they build a, a separate airport for Kanye? <laughs> Seems like yes. maybe they probably yes. should. Because I don't think his ego, I don't think the runway's long mm, enough for no, his ego. it's not. Uh, you know, a lot of news. And then just a couple of weeks ago, the, 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 jur the jury uh, verdict came down about the Robin Thicke and oh, Marvin yeah. Gaye thing, mm -hmm. which was $7.4 million. Yeah, that's crazy. You know, we got to think, I'd like to, let's play a song first. I'm going to come back and talk about that a little bit. I want to get your opinions on that. So right. uh, what's this first song you're going to play for us, man? Don't, don't, don't. Okay, and this is from the most recent record. It is, indeed. And people can pick that up on your website, michaelhayesmusic.com. And you've got Kip Boardman along. He's going to play some keys and sing just a little bit, too. That's right, Kip uh, Boardman. Kip Boardman. All right, Michael Hayes on Independence Day. Don't, don't, don't Don't blame yourself Don't, don't, don't Blame it all on somebody else Don't, don't, don't I know I'm winning, I know how to spin it now Might be a sinner, you know I'm a winner now Don't, don't, don't Don't ever let go Cause there might be no tomorrow I know I'm winning I know how to spin it now Might be a sinner You know I'm a winner now
name is Joe Armstrong. You are listening to Independence Day. Thank you very much for doing so. Please drop by the Independence Day website, www.indepday.com. That's I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y.com. You can also visit this week's guest, Michael Hayes Music. Not him personally, but you can learn all about him at michaelhayesmusic.com. And H-A-Y-S, no E on there for him. Facebook.com slash Michael Hayes Music. Also SoundCloud.com slash Michael Hayes. Not tweeting to date. Not to say that you should. You know, I have no personal stock in whether you do or you don't. I'm amused by it, I guess. Yeah, it seems to be a, a healthy vehicle for many prominent figures in entertainment. It's a quick, ra- a quick way to reach a lot of people. Right. So it does have value in that regard. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to reach a lot of people, it's a, it's a fast way to do that. Because, you know, Facebook seems to be evolving the way MySpace did, and it's all cat videos now. Yeah. You know, it's like a cleaner... Like, I mean, MySpace was the thing. It was the first social media thing. But right. then people could, like, pimp out their pages. MySpace was great yeah. for a while. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was musician-friendly. It really was. And I would surf MySpace and find all these great bands that yeah. I hadn't heard of, like independent artists Yeah, that... You know, they weren't mainstream, and yeah. they were great. Yeah. And it was really amazing for that, and I uh, I miss it, yeah. you know? it's Facebook is not that. I'm totally addicted to it. Yeah. I'm ashamed to say, because it really is just a time suck. Here's a trick. I've started a new thing. You've got an iPhone, mm-hmm. right? This is a new trick, and this is free trick for everybody out there, because I feel the same way. And I've got nothing against Facebook. I'm a social guy. I like to see what people are up to. Mm-hmm. And I have friends all over the place, and it's very convenient for yeah. that. But I've noticed very quickly how, I call it the rabbit hole. You know, you get into it, and like you start just looking and seeing what people are up to. Next thing you know, it's an, literally 45 minutes later, yeah. and you haven't accomplished anything. Right. So my new trick is, especially if you've got an iPhone, which I imagine Android has something similar, I just press the button for Siri and say, Siri, set a timer for eight minutes. Yeah. Or set a timer for five minutes. And then I jump in and I can freely prance about Facebook, seeing what people are up to, mm-hmm. watching people's cat videos or what have you. Yeah. When my alarm goes off, done. Mm-hmm. Whatever is I'm doing. If I'm in the middle of a, of a tome or a diatribe, okay, fine, wrap it up, done. Yeah. Okay. And then like I'm, I'm consciously trying to set it down because I'm not accomplishing things because I'm yeah. dicking around on Facebook all the time. Yeah, it's really not very productive. It can be very entertaining. In yeah. A, you know, uh, flipping through the channels kind of way, but... And it's definitely, you got the right word, it's definitely an addiction, and Mm -hmm. I can feel it in myself. Like, I catch myself, like, wanting to see what people are up to. And I think it's a a Mm reward-based. You see that little red thing that someone has commented on something. Notifications or messages or something. Enough of that. Some sort of validation that I'm even a human being or I exist (laughs) at all. Totally, totally. And I agree with you, man. So try that's a trick. Free advice for everybody. Try try that out. See if it works. Yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, It's not that I don't like all of you, but man, I'd rather see you in person. Uh, Before that song, which was great, by the way, love hearing what you're up to and love to hear it live. And I love, and I, you're welcome. It's it's deserved. And I love seeing when people can do what they do on record live. Not that I would be surprised by Mm -hmm. you, your ability to do that, but it's nice to, the proof is in the pudding. Yeah. Good work. I only had like uh, eight producers and 15 writers on that song. So exactly. And to that point, just recently, you know, the verdict came out about the Robin Thicke and Pharrell Williams uh, trial Again, you know, Marvin Gaye's mm-hmm. heirs brought a suit state, against yeah. them for that song, those pair of songs. And that's a big judgment. That's huge. You know, and I've, yeah. there's very mixed opinions on this in the artistic yeah. community. Like, I know what the Marvin Gaye's people think. They got a big pile of money, at mm-hmm. least until it's appealed. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this whole thing? Because it's not the first one. There was the Tom Petty one, too. 
Yeah, the Tom Petty one, and um, gosh, there were, I know there's others that um, yeah, that are escaping the first my mind ones. right now. I don't know. I think everybody borrows from everybody, you know, and unless you're like really stealing something, this millions and millions of dollars seems like it's reaching a bit. But then again, they made a ton of money off the song, and I, yeah, I really don't think it's that great anyway. So. I I don't know. I'm ambivalent about it, you know. It yeah. didn't get me fired up at all when I compared AB'd the two. Yeah. I didn't I don't think that they blatantly stole the song. I think they were going for a vibe. And I guess that's where the line is. Because, you know, uh imitation is a form you know, the best form of flattery. I'm yeah. paraphrasing that phrase. Yeah. You know, and we all you know, I think even the people who are the most original, like Tom Waits, who I feel like is an extremely mm-hmm. original artist, if you asked him, he's like, yeah, I'm just basically, you know, I'm, I'm tipping my hat to Howlin' Wolf. Or Captain Beefheart. And Captain Beefheart mm-hmm. and Lead Belly. Yeah. And like, you know, I'm, I'm doing my own thing. So, mm-hmm. I mean, all music, we're standing on the shoulders of giants to an mm-hmm. extent. But I don't know who's to say. You know, I have a friend who works at the law firm that represented Pharrell. Oh, and, really? And, and Thick. And, you know, we were kind of chatting about it the mm-hmm. night that it dropped, the verdict. And, uh, you know, at one point I just put, you know, on, on Facebook, right, to tie it all together, I put something like, you know, it doesn't matter. The jury decided, you know, and then he came back and just said something like, well, you know, you're the only musician who said this is a good thing. And I said, it's, I didn't say it was a good thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's good or bad. You know, and of course, yes, it will be appealed and there's just too much money to not but I don't know if it's good or bad. It's probably a little both. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I rip stuff off all the time. So, I mean, if you're a, a songwriter who enjoys listening to music, which I assume most songwriters do, uh, you know, you're going to be in danger of whether or not it's intentional putting something in one of your songs that's lifted you know, I yeah. mean, there's so many devices that you can use in music, like just harmonically or melodically speaking, that sometimes I'll write something and even get to the point of recording it and then and then hear a song, maybe a Beatles song or something, that uses the same melody or the same harmonic, uh, you know, progression, at least a part of it. Right. You know, where... You know, if it was a huge hit, it would, you know, I could I could be sued. Yeah. So, I don't know. People are pretty, they really want want their money, so. I, I think at the end of the day, for me, it comes down to, it's a bigger commentary on the litigiousness of our society yeah. than it does on the actual music thing itself. Yeah, you know, I f- think. The fact that we can sue about these things makes it a bigger deal than the fact that they did. Yeah, that sense? yeah, suing McDonald's for the hot coffee, or you know, kids suing their parents because they spanked them. You know that whole yeah. thing. It's just I don't. I'm I'm not into it. Yeah, what's the Texan talking to you now, man? Yeah, you got to shake them babies. Maybe do whatever we that want. That baby cries, you shake it. <laughs> what's that? What's that Chris Rock thing? <laughs> I would never, ever, ever hit a woman, but I shake the blank out of her. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because it's, well, it's on the edge, which is what Chris Rock's all about. Yeah. Uh, man, what do we got? So we got so many things to talk about here. So you've got this new-ish record, you, okay. right? And yeah. you produced this with your friend, my friend as well, yes. uh, producer uh, Sean Hoffman. Sean Hoffman. Tell me a little bit about 
you know, you said it started off as it was going to be this duo thing. Mm-hmm. And then how did it get from point A to point B with more fleshed out? Was it, was it as a result of working with Sean and producing the record? Or where did it get from point A to point B? Well, Kip and I went in and tracked a number of songs uh, live. And a couple of them wound up on the record. Just as a duo? Mm-hmm. Okay. And we were just going to do overdubs, you know, add some other voices and instrumentation. Hand claps. Yes. And um, some of the takes just weren't quite uh, where I wanted them to be. So we started redoing them, and it evolved from there, and wound up having three different drummers. Okay. And brought in, you know, like Eric Haywood on pedal steel, and... um, uh, some singers, you know, a bunch of people are on the record now. So it's got a whole heap of folks on there contributing their voices. And, uh, you know, I think it made it a lot more interesting than just a couple of guys, even though, you know, I mean, there's any number of just solo acoustic uh, performances right. that are, that are you know, uh, compelling just in and of themselves. But I, I, I wanted a... a a fully realized version of this collection of songs. And uh, so that's that's what we went for in the end. Yeah. Now, was this something that you decided on your own? Or had you already, did you start the process at Sean's studio? Started and, it with Sean, yes. Okay. So then was it like a discussion with him that you went to him and said, hey, you know, I think this needs to be bigger than it is? Well, we're really good friends. And, you know, I've been playing together and hanging out for a long time and so it was stuff that came up just in regular conversation without me approaching him you know in a professional sense or what have you and we just arrived at the conclusion just organically it wasn't like let's do this it was just we started to add things and one thing led to another and then it was just like let's just do a full album yeah i feel like you know every album has got its own thing They, they take on a life of their own Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I feel like every time I go into a project, whether it's my own, one of my own records or an album I'm producing for another artist, you start off with this kind of vision of what you think it's going to be. Uh, and then, but they're in, in some ways, their the albums are like children. Mm-hmm. It's going to be what it wants to be. Right. And you just kind of have to guide it that way. It's or drug gonna, it. Yeah. Well, ex- well, exactly. Or just beat it. Shake it. Like Shake it. <laughs> Only if it cries. <laughs> Uh, but they're going to take on a life of their own. And I feel like our job, you know, as an interpreter of our own music is just to help it become like a kid, help it become its best version of itself. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, that's what we thought was the right thing to do. Yeah. Some of the songs like, uh, Hater was Kip and I originally, and, um, there was, that might be, oh, uh, Told You So. That was, those are, those are both live, you know, and then we overdubbed over those, but the rest of them, we started over some of them a few times we started over, you know, tried a couple of different things until we got it right. Yeah. I mean, just looking over the liner notes here. I mean, I'm a liner note junkie, so thank you for putting this stuff in here because I love this information. I've always been that way. Yeah. Just give credit where credit's due. Yeah. Just, I mean, a, a quick look over here. I mean, this is kind of a who's who of, you know, the Echo Park scene, such as it is. Tex. You know, yeah, Tex, you know, where mm-hmm. I was part of that at one mm-hmm. point, uh, back when it was a thing, it seems like. But, you know, you've got Julie yeah. Kane, Little Lonely on here. Yes. You've got, you know, Sean, of course, Steve Didlow, you know, guys from the, the, the Larks, Larks, which is your band. Mark Lane. Mark Lane, Joey, Galvan, 
uh, from the bullies. Exactly. Who else do we have in your air? Carrie Wood, who you mentioned before, who's doing, yeah. he's done a ton of work. Yeah. He's, he's, a, he's guy. a member of the pretenders. Is he now? He okay. is. And he was, he was a member of Sunvolt. Sun and did he even play with Uncle Tupelo, I think, on tour at the I'm very end? I'm not sure. Maybe so. But uh, he's been uh, with Ray LaMontagne. Yeah. Um, he's he's big, big time. Yeah, yeah. And, gets, and Rob Douglas, I see on here. Rob Douglas is great. Of... And um, George Slupik from the Chris Robinson Brotherhood. Yeah. Played drums on a couple of tracks. And um, Davey, Michelle, mm-hmm. played bass on a tune. And, you know, and best of all, you know, it's like the, it's good. You know, you get all these things, you put them, put these musicians together, you start assembling this album because they, like I said, they take on a life of their own. And yeah. you just, as you're, as it's kind of like surfing in a way, you're kind of halfway through it and you're just hoping, damn, I hope this is good. Yeah. When it's all said and done. And it is right. good, man. So keep up the good work. Oh, thank you. Uh, thank why don't you, you play another tune? When we come back, I would love to, uh, let's talk a little bit about the Larks, which is okay. this band. That's how I first met you. And we're going right. to talk about their lineage, which is kind of curious. Yes. Uh, what's this next thing going to be, Michael? This one's called Rose Colored Memory. Also from that solo record that we're talking about. Indeed. All right. So this is Michael Hayes, accompanied by Kip Boardman here on Independence Day.
little rose-colored memory of what it was Just a rose-colored memory of what it was Only a rose-colored memory of what it was Of what it was Very nice, Michael. Thanks, Joe. Sounds great, man. Appreciate that. <laughs> I feel like I should get you coffee something, man. Or what's that scene with Sopranos? I need when... some Claritin and a couple of cups of coffee. Yeah, some what's well, early. You know, we have to do the show early because of the uh the work situation. But it's good. It's okay, man. Your voice sounds yeah. cool like that when it's raspy. Thanks. Yeah, it's a little deeper. Yeah. And you're just in town for you got a show at the mint while you're here. That's right. And you're going to see some friends. Mm-hmm. And are you doing any recording while you're here? Uh, yes. We actually already did some okay. uh, with Sean. Uh, Joe Hursley and myself have a project called Real Wild Love. Okay. And uh, we're, we were in a band called Indians, and we were Indians together. And um, this is uh, an evolution out of that. It's uh, songs that we started working on while we were still doing a lot with Indians and we were Indians. More melodic and synth-based, and I programmed some of the drums. My friend Hayden Scott uh, played drums on a lot of it. But anyway, uh, Joe was doing some vocals on that, and Sean is going to mix that for us. Okay. Yeah. Now, just a little bit of inside baseball. What are you programming on? I mean, there's something in... You've uh, got the full range of something as simple as GarageBand or as complicated as Logic. What are you using? I use Logic, and uh, there's a program called uh, Superior Drummer that, that, that I use. It has a lot of loops, and like I'll, I'll take those loops, uh, you know, like they use these studio guys or you know heavy hitter drummers that play these loops i think john tempesta did a lot of them and uh i'll take those and i'll put them on a kit or like sometimes i'll put them into like an 808 or like a drum machine it's a roland tr 808 is what we're talking Mm -hmm. about for people who are not musicians it's kind of like one of the the quintessential drum machines that started the whole drum machine thing way back in the 80s yeah i think they're they're referenced in many rap Yep. Songs. 808 there's a 909 too yeah 808 so uh yeah that's my that's my method so will this be something this is going to be a record we're going to see at some point yes well we're gonna do singles for now and do videos with them because joe is like joe is an actor as well as a musician and he's uh a writer and uh a, a has a very good eye with photography and video and has a bunch of director friends because he's an actor. Right. So we're going to make videos and do singles. Yeah. It's kind of a smart and maybe, or a different and smart way to go about doing music these days. Yeah. You know, albums. Yeah. I mean, I prefer the album mm-hmm. as a yeah. thing, as a, as a, as a chunk 
of mm-hmm. music to listen to. So yeah. I kind of get into that atmospheric space that an artist creates. Yep. But that's because I'm old school. I mean, you've got the kids nowadays. The kids, mm-hmm. those damn kids get off my lawn and all. Yeah. But they don't seem to care. Well, I like albums too. And usually when I'm listening to music at home, I'm listening to vinyl. I'm yeah. listening to records because I like to set down the vinyl on the turntable and drop the stylus and listen to a whole side of music and go through, uh, you know, get a sense of place for where it was recorded. And, right. you know, I love 70s. That's my favorite era. So yeah. I'm listening to like mostly older stuff, Yeah, you know. But I think for now, uh, you know, YouTube and is really where it's at. I mean, yeah. it's like it's a really good way to to get people to pay attention to music. You yeah. know, I mean, if you can't get on, uh, you know, commercial radio, which I don't know how you do that. Well, to, uh, to get on commercial radio, you have to go back in time. Yeah. <laughs> release an album in 1972, I think. Call yourself Aerosmith. Call yourself Aerosmith. Yeah. Get sued, because that's free publicity. Uh-huh. And then that's how you get on commercial radio. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think, you know, singles and videos, uh, it'll be fun, and uh, maybe we can get the get the kids on board. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so, man. Well, I teach kids uh, guitar for a living. Okay. That's what I. That's what I've been doing the past five years. You know, when I'm not playing, I uh, well, I I did accordion repairs for five years of that, or just until I moved to Austin. I also worked on yeah. accordions, which sounds anyway, like such an esoteric thing. But there's a place here. No, this is great though. There's a yeah. place right here in Glendale, yeah. uh, Atwater area. Mm-hmm. That's Dave's accordion. Dave's school. accordion. Yeah, and you know he's a player, right? He's an excellent player. Because he's, he's tuned one of my accordions. I took yeah. it in there when I first mm-hmm. moved out to Los Angeles, which is, you wouldn't believe how hard it is to find someone who has any idea mm-hmm. about how that even works. Yep, and I do. How did you, I mean, this is like a side note of a side note, but how on earth did you fall into accordion repair? I was living in Atwater Village, and I saw a sign. Uh, I was looking for work, and I saw a sign up that said, Lessons. Right, they have those those uh, you know those old signs, yeah. the, the bulbs that say lessons on accordion, uh, guitar, violin, and free bass. You know that, that sign mm-hmm. says that. <laughs> so I was like, oh, guitar. So I went in and asked them if they needed a guitar teacher, and they did. And wow. I worked there for five years and learned how to tune and restore and repair accordions and. Uh, and I went to see them yesterday. They're they're great. Yeah, which is a beastly instrument. It has a lot of moving parts, and right. no two are alike because those crazy Italians were competing with each other in the golden age of accordions. So there was always a different mechanism. It might be the same model, right? Same year, everything, but you open it up, and it's got a different mechanism in it because yeah. they were they were innovating and some of the stuff in them it's really beautiful it looks like yeah. a da vinci yeah. uh, contraption you know looks like a flying machine <laughs> well yeah i mean this is a you know the uh, an analog instrument mm-hmm. uh was writ large you know because mm-hmm. they do have digital accordions and in some yeah. ways you know some of the new nords have a kind of an accordion patch it is and they've gotten better yeah but the yeah. the more esoteric the instrument is the harder it is to emulate with digital technology mm-hmm. yeah. you know like the b3 stuff hammond stuff drawbar right. organs have mm-hmm. come closer but yeah. still doesn't get 
it's not the same thing. The accordion's the same way. Yeah, so yeah it's hard to find a good accordion sample. Uh, so, man, I, 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 that was going to be one of my questions anyway. So it's like, let's no, so let's backtrack here. So we're talking about you, this new recordings you were doing here <laughs> with Joe while you're out here, which we'll see as some singles. Uh, and then we were going to talk about the Larks, but since okay. we've talked for a while, yeah. let's play another tune. We'll come back then. We'll talk about the Larks. How about All one right. more tune? All right. This one's called Good Friend. All right, man. Michael Hayes, once again, on Independence Day. Don't you want a good friend right now? Won't you walk with me for a while? I don't want to be alone No matter what I say Don't you want a good friend Don't you want to Thank you very much for listening to Independence Day. Drop by indepthday.com to hear this episode as well as 130 so other episodes of other musicians. Some good stuff on there, man. 
right. not because I made him, but these these are great musicians. I mean, this yeah. is a public service I provide yeah. for the people of Earth. Yeah, you had Brian Whelan a couple Brian weeks Whelan, ago, yeah. right? I did, yeah. I did. He's a great guy, and he struck out yeah. solo from being in uh, Dwight's band Dwight, for four Yoakum, years yeah. or so. Such a talented guy. He's out on the road yeah. as we speak. Yeah, he's in Austin. Yeah, he's in Austin. He's in Austin. Uh, so, but my guest tonight, Michael Hayes, also a great musician. He's got his own records. He's played with a number of bands. Uh, we Were Indians, uh, this Real Wild Love project you were talking about, Neighborhood Bullies. He played on a Richard Thompson record. Yes. But let's take a minute before we forget, before we sub, sub, sub genre again, talk about The Larks, which the Larks. is a band uh, with you and uh, give me the, the lineup. Uh, it was myself, um, or is, was, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Sean Hoffman on guitar and Steve Didalo on the drums and vocals and Mark Lane on bass guitar and also on vocals. And then how did you guys start playing together? Um, well, <clears throat> excuse me, I had met Sean when I was living in Austin uh, back in uh, the early, uh, late 90s like 99, something like that. I met him, and we'd kept in touch. He was in L.A. already, and he uh, just really wanted me to come out to L.A. where we start a band, you know. So I was visiting out here, like, in 2004, and Mark Lane was at a birthday party of his, and Sean uh, played me his record, and it was great. It was really, you know... Uh, smart yeah and uh, mark's great we had him on the show as well his last record was really yeah. good yeah i was i was i was yeah i was uh part of that and um well not the record because he makes them all himself but anyway uh we met mark and i was very impressed with him and we kind of like pegged him for you know a guy who we wanted in our band and then uh steve uh, moved in next door to Sean. We had none of us had had met him, but he moved in next door and turned out he was a musician. Had a a record that he just self produced, and um, a lot of it was really good. And we wound up uh, playing. You know, we we said let's do this thing, and Mark was game for it, and Steve was new to town, and and uh, that was let's see, you met them. In the summer of 2004, and by like early 2005, we were we had started meeting up and and playing together, and we were really into the the band at that time, and wanted to have something really organic like that, where we're all writing songs, and uh, there's a dynamic because Steve plays drums and and sings, you know, so we really. We really worked hard on developing harmonies, and we wanted the Americana aesthetic, you know. And right. so, so we went with that and played a whole lot of shows at Tex and uh, the Lava Lounge and a number of other places. We had a few residencies, and uh, but you know, we all were doing solo albums. Yeah. A couple of the guys went on tour with America Music Club. And, uh, you know, seemed like every time we were about to do something, we got derailed, you know, Yeah, such is life. Well, that's the thing, you know, that's the, kind of the fate of a lot of L.A. bands. You get, you know, there's a lot of talented people here, and you want those talented people in your band, like the Neighborhood Bullies, which mm -hmm. is Davey Michelle's, you know, brand name, it yes, seems like. that's, that's uh, right. <laughs> it's, uh, 
it's like a rotating cast of musicians because it really can't be any other way. Because there are, unless you make a pile of money mm-hmm. and you can just pay everybody can lend live on that yeah. band, um, everybody's going to be doing other things. Mm-hmm. I mean, both artistically because they want to and financially because they have to. Right. You know, so it's kind of like the the liability of having great people in your band is that yeah. you won't have them for very long, it seems like. Yeah, I think that's part of it is that, you know, they're in demand. And another part of it is just being an adult, yeah. you know, and having adult responsibilities. You know, we're right. no longer in our 20s where, you know, we just want to <laughs> actually we're in our 20s. <laughs> And we party every night. <laughs> it's actually 5 a.m. right now. We haven't been to bed yet. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so then that leads me to my next thing, which we mentioned the bullies before. You were a member of uh, Neighborhood Bullies Neighborhood for a bullies. while. That's which right. is Three I mean, and a half years. We've had them on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how, you know, how do you even describe the bullies? Like they're Rock and roll. Rock and roll, raw. Yep. You know, uh, off uh, the cuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Davey's uh, always posting pictures of his forearm where he writes the mm-hmm. set list on his forearm and a sharpie. Yeah, you know, and I love Davey for being like the relaxed guy mm-hmm. you know, that he comes. His kind of personality is mm-hmm. like the music does not reflect that. Maybe it's all of his angst gets into the music somehow. Uh, he's you know he's he's got a little intensity to him. He has his know? moments. He's he's a dictator when it comes to yeah. the band. Because he has all these parts in his head, yeah, you know, he has all the he has two guitar parts in his head when he writes a song, so he'll tell you the parts, and then you bring your personality to that, right? You know, which is a beautiful thing, right? But uh, you well, know, it takes it's the just, pressure off. It's hard to hard to be in a band, you know. Yeah. So especially when one guy is driving, yeah, you know, he's like at the wheel, and he's amazing. But after a while, you know, I, yeah. I wanted, I wanted more of my ideas, and and it's Davy's band, right? You know, so yeah. Well, when you sign up to, for that, you know what you're getting. Yeah, when you and it was a lot of fun. And there was a, a while there where we were just unstoppable. We would yeah. go in and just destroy. Yeah, it was fun. It's one of those things. Like I always wanted to see somebody to pick them up and take them on a national tour, like an opening slot. Yeah. You know, like somebody, I don't know who that would be, like My Morning Jacket or New York Dolls or whatever. Someone who's got a built in fan base. Because if he, if they caught the right spark, Mm -hmm. you know, if they caught the right thing, Davey and what he's doing, it's so raw and so in a good way. You know, something that's, I think, missing in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways. Because it's, I suppose it's kind of punk influenced in a way. Oh, yeah, a lot. But it's not all the way to that kind of like, because part of punk is sucking. Mm-hmm. It seems yeah. like to me, like yeah. kind of intentionally so, and that's cool. But, but Davey doesn't Davey. suck. No, no, you know at all. he can play standards. Yeah, you know? very talented guy. Yeah. So, you, but fun is like I was going to use that very word to describe because seeing mm-hmm. a bully show is fun. So playing that has got to be fun too. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was sweaty, like gritty, dirty, like loud, loud rock and roll. And we did a, a couple of things with Mike Chapman, which was really exciting you know um so um and we did a Susie quattro record too um also with mike chapman yeah you know which which davy i think co-produced on yeah. that we like uh we we took um some popular music and and like top 40 stuff and put it put a spin on it like we did yeah. uh a yeah uh yeah yeah yes song and um uh we did a rihanna song oh cool which uh you know whatever 
I'll quote you on that. That's yeah. funny, man. How about one more thing? We're just about out of time here, but I want to hear about your Richard Thompson experience because okay. you got a chance to play on a Richard Thompson record. Yes. At one point, that was about 2006. It mm-hmm. looks like. Like, how did yeah. that come to pass? Like, what a unique experience that must have been. It was great. Um, that came from my friend Simon Tassano. He is the front of house guy for Richard and has been since the 80s, I think. And uh, they were, I had just moved to L.A. And and Simon had been my neighbor and like always a, uh, you know, he, he was always very supportive of my musical endeavors. And I had just moved to L.A. and Richard was doing a record out there and just wanted to use whoever was in town. And his guy, uh, Pete Zorn, who's his multi-instrumentalist guy who he's been with, you know, who's been with Richard for a really long time. He wasn't, you know, he was in England. So I think he was in England. So he wasn't here. He wasn't in L.A. And I was. And I got a call, and it was amazing. I got to work with Richard and uh, Danny Thompson. Yeah. Played bass on it, which was, uh, you know, I hadn't... I hadn't familiarized myself that much with Richard at that point, but I r- was a huge fan of Nick Drake, which yeah. Danny Thompson played on all those yeah, records. Yeah, I'm a Nick Drake fan too. Richard played on some of it, you know, because they were all friends, you know, in Fairport Convention and everything, but I I was more familiar with Danny, and and uh, he's such a, he's like a, he's a big, like, masculine like manly very uh salt of the earth englishman yeah and i was right i was intimidated you know and these guys they're all older than me you know so it was a learning experience taras pradanuk mm-hmm. he played uh the he did the other uh, the rest of the bass duties when danny wasn't there and uh he was and michael jerome played drums excellent but taras was like uh, my big brother, on yeah. it, you know, because Richard is such a sweetheart. He would never, he was never critical at all. And if I was doing something that was a little bit questionable or what what have you, Taras was he was really helpful. He would you know yeah. take me. So, You're Russian. You know? Don't do that. <laughs> don't don't rush. <laughs> don't do that. I love that phrase. Whatever you're doing. Don't do that. So, but I mean, did you think when you got that call, do you think they were pulling your leg? No, I, I knew it was for real because Simon, you know, uh, I'd, I'd been to Richard Thompson a couple shows because of Simon, and he was always raving about how he's the greatest, uh, you know, which he's really amazing. And uh, so I was just thrilled. I was really excited. And it was, it's, you know, that's one of my proudest moments. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Yeah, Sweet Warrior. That's that's the record, and I'm all over it. I sing on it and play on. I'm on most of it, most of the tracks. So cool stuff, man. Yeah, I'm I'm really proud of it. So how about some more cool stuff? We've got time for one more tune, man. What's this going to be? Okay, uh, play a song called Hater. Hater, also from uh, the new record, from the new one. All right, man. So once again, Michael Hayes on Independence Day. Thank you. 
Again, Michael Hayes, accompanied by Kip Boardman, practically a legend in this town by now. I think you practically are too, man. Great to see you. Great to have you back in L.A. Thanks for having me. I mean, me. I know it's kind of a short trip, but make sure you let me know the next time you're in town, we'll hoist one. I will. That sounds great. It's good to, to be back. I'd love to do it, man. I appreciate and, uh, it. And things are going well in Austin for you? Things are going great. Have you got uh, like music things going? Playing I do. I've, I've, met some, um, I've met some accomplices and uh, got some things in the works there. I've been playing a lot of duo shows with uh, Brad Hauser. Oh, yeah. Who from played, Edie Brickell and New yeah, Bohemians. played bass with Edie Brickell and New Bohemians and uh, with Critters Buggin'. Mm-hmm. 
We're doing some duo shows, which are really cool. He's a good he's, player. Yeah, he's excellent. And playing some with the guys from Sherman. I don't know if you know them, but... Um, Heard the name. The, the rhythm section from Sherman, and some with the uh, guys from Sideshow Tragedy. Now, are you doing... Are you fronting these things? Are these... Uh, yeah, I'm just doing just doing the Michael Hayes thing right now. Yeah. I, you know, I'd love to be a part of another ensemble where it's not just, you know, me up front. So yeah, maybe Real Wild Love will be the next for that. Or who knows? Maybe The Larks. Yeah. Well, we hear that record that never got released. Maybe someday. Yeah. yeah maybe someday. One of these days, man. So it's a good thing. So keep doing it. Whatever yeah. it is that you're doing. Keep Thank doing you. it. Thanks. And let me know the next time you're in town, man. You know, we'll, uh, you know, if I'm ever in Austin, I'll look you up. I won't be a stranger. I will heckle you. You don't the, either. Heckle you from the corner of the bar. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Shake it. <laughs> Shake it, Michael Hayes. So thank you to Michael Hayes and Kip Boardman, also to the Independence Day staff, Valentina Rivera, Dale Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. The imaginative Tony Tone Loke Piscotti manages the Independence Day website. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. For Independence Day, as always, I am Joe Armstrong. If you do anything, please be good to one another.